Hi, everyone. I'm Charlie. Let's begin with prayer. Holy Spirit, come and open our hearts, open our eyes, open our understanding and our mind. Teach us exactly what we need to learn this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was a pole vaulter in college. Anybody know what a pole vaulter is? Um, you've probably seen it on TV where it looks perfect all the time. Uh, the way pole vaulting works is you have this long fiberglass pole, S-glass. I don't know what they're using these days, but when I was using it, S-glass was a big thing. It was new technology. So the thing you do is you pay to take this long pole. How long the pole is depends on how fast, strong, and how high you can jump. The, more, the better you are at those things, the bigger the pole that you can use, and that gives you an advantage, obviously, if you're trying to get as high as you can. So you take this pole, you build up your speed, and you run just as fast as you can, and you want to be at top speed when you plant that pole. When you plant it in the box, what will happen is the pole will bend, you'll invert your body, and you pull yourself up this way, you go over the thing, and you land on the mat. That's the way it's supposed to work. No, sometimes it doesn't work that way. If you've ever been to a high school or a junior high track meet, you've seen a different thing. If you've just not seen the Olympics, it always works out really well. But what happens is your, your step, when you plant it, has to be right in the perfect spot. If it's under, you plant like this, and the pole bends, and you get spit out that way. If it's out here, you'll jump into it, and then the pole will bend and either break or spit you out that way. Um, if you plant over here to the side... The pole will bend, and it'll spit you out that way. You get my point, you know? Everything has to pretty much go right. But the point I want to make tonight is if I'm going down that runway with the pole and I'm running 90%, it's not going to work. If I'm running 80%, it's not going to work. I have to be at 100% full speed for that to work and everything to work right, or I'm going to get spit back out somewhere else. Um, I think that's a, the key that point that I want to make today. 100% is how the gospel and the kingdom of God work. And when that's on, then things work. And when it's 90% or below or whatever, it's, it just doesn't work that way. Um, you guys know we've got new Bibles? Um, I want everyone to grab a Bible in front of you. Even if you bring your own Bible, would you grab this and help us out? Aren't those pretty? We ordered all new. We used to have the brown Bibles, and they were actually two different Bibles, so I couldn't give you just a regular uh, page number, and so some of you would have one, and some of you would have another, and some of them were actually falling apart. So we got new ones. Isn't that exciting? Um, so I want us to get them out, because there's nothing worse than a Bible that's never been opened that creaks when you open, right? So we want to wear these, let's break these things in. Let's consider these new Bibles like a new uh, catcher's mitt or a baseball glove. It's no fun unless it gets broken in a little bit. So let's start off, um, I can tell you the page number in this new Bible, so we'll go with page 804, what we're going to Matthew 22, in my opinion one of the most uh, important verses in our Bible, starting with verse 30, 804. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Okay. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, just to set this, they don't 
see eye to eye. Uh, the Sadducees see the world one way and the Scriptures one way, and the Pharisees see the Scriptures and the world one way, and both of them think the other ones are idiots, kind of like our current situation with the Republicans and the Democrats, and everyone thinks the other ones doesn't know what they're talking about, that kind of situation. So the Sadducees had their run at Jesus to try to um, trip him up and see if they could trick him. They failed, and so now it's the Pharisees' turn. Oh, we're smarter, so we're going to go, I'm going to ask him this question. Everyone's going to be, you know, you can always ask somebody a question where someone's going to be mad at the result of this question, and this seems like the perfect one. What's the most important commandment? And Jesus doesn't hesitate. Love the Lord your God. Okay, this isn't something that they'd never heard before. Uh, This wasn't a surprising answer. It might have been surprising that he chose that one to them, but they've heard this, and they've said it themselves at least twice a day for their entire lives. What he's referring to is a thing called the Shema, and it's a, it's a long um, thing that they'll repeat every day. If you're a Jew, you repeat this twice a day, but he, we'll, we'll, let's just go ahead and put it up there. Um, actually, let's turn to our Bibles. Let's break this sucker in. It's on page 145. It's Deuteronomy 6.4. I would say this is our first trip to the New Old Testament in our new Bibles, but there was a service before you, so... This is the second time. Okay, 6-4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Okay, this is really important. God is saying, I'm going to say this, but this is what I want you to do with them. I want you to put them on their foreheads. I want you to put them on the doors of your houses. I want you to say this every day when you get up and when you go to bed. So this is super important. And so when, G- when they ask Jesus, what's the most important commandment? It's not a question for him. He's like, oh, it's love the Lord your God, the thing that you've been saying all the time. I always like to picture, um, actually, I'm going to wait for that. I'll tell you later because, yeah, I need to show you a picture first. Um, So this is no small thing. If if you're a Jew, even modern Jews will say the Shema twice a day, okay? So let's just practice this because it is this important. Let's say it together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Let's do it again to fulfill our obligation for today. (laughs) Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Okay. When you do it alone, um, this is so important to them. It is actually said that the Shema is what it is to be a Jew. Um, when they say this, sometimes they'll put four fingers on their forehead. Um, sometimes they'll cover their eyes to make sure they're not distracted as they're saying it. Um, if you're saying it alone and not with a group, you will add the words, God, faithful king. Because what that does is the entire Shema is 245 words. Um, if you add those three words, it makes it 248 words. And according to the Jewish count, there's 248 parts of your body. And so what that's symbolizing is, when I say the Shema, I'm giving all of myself to you, God. It's a wonderful thing to think about. Um, just to show you just how this works, the mezuzah. You see that thing over on the left? 
Uh, have you ever been to a house that has that on there? Sometimes if you've looked at houses, you'll sometimes find one of those. But the uh, Orthodox Jews will still put that on there. I've been to Christians' houses that do that as well. It, it'll say on the front of that, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And inside of it will be a, probably a scroll with the, the entire Shema in it. Also, um, the next thing is called the Tefillin. See that thing on his forehead? Uh, they took that literally, um, and, some t- and the Orthodox Jews still will today. They, uh, when he says, you know, bind this on your forehead, there it is. If you open that up, it'll have the Shema in it. Uh, the next picture, bind it on your hand or on your arm and on your forehead. He's got both there. Um, so I like to picture this guy, you know, the guy who thought he was going to trick Jesus in the, what's the most important commandment? And I feel, see like Jesus just tapping him on the forehead. It's right there on your forehead. This shouldn't be a hard question for you. Um, so when he says this, um, I can't overemphasize how important the Shema is to the, in the life of a Jewish person um, and how important this an- Jesus' answer should be to us. And I think he's giving us more than just an answer to what the most important commandment is. I feel like Jesus is giving us this hint, this wonderful blueprint for how the kingdom of God works. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Not some of it, it's not a part of your life, it's all of this. It's the fuel that a human being needs in our tanks for this whole transformation thing to work. I feel like in this statement, there's so much that if followed, makes all the gears begin clicking to make the machine of transforming our lives and the world move. It's the all-in. Okay, let's say this together again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Any poker fans out there? Yeah? All right. So when it says, when I say the word all in, what does that mean, Christy? Yeah. If you've got a bunch of chips in front of you, money, whatever you're betting, if you just put it all in and you leave nothing to yourself, that's what's called all in. And I think using, using poker as, a, as, a, as an analogy for uh, the Christian life, all in is the only bet that we can really make for it to work. When we hold part of ourselves back, it becomes something different than what it's meant to be. Um, the machine doesn't work quite as well when we're holding part for ourselves and part for him. And what I'm talking about today, I don't want to sound like a condemning person. I want to talk, this is about love, loving him with all of our heart. It's not doing a bunch of stuff and checking a bunch of boxes. This is what I'm talking about is love. I think when a lot of us, myself included, sometimes we have this meal that is our life. We have, we hope that, you know, sometimes Jesus becomes a side dish to the entree that might be our life. And even if he's like the, the entree, he wants more than that. He wants to be the entire meal. If Jesus is added on to my life in the way that a new hobby, a new relationship, a new friend, or a new job, then it's not the gospel that I'm living. Not only will I have a deeply flawed understanding of the reality of my life and my commitment to Jesus, but it will become so unbearably boring so quickly. I don't know, I, I've lived nominal Christianity before in, in seasons of my life, and it's just so boring. <laughs> you know, to us, and I can imagine to Jesus as well. You know, I don't want that for my life, and I know that Jesus doesn't want that from my, from my life either. 
He wants to go on an adventure, and I want to go on that same adventure as well. All right, back to the New Testament, page 851, Luke 18. Right at the very bottom, the rich in the kingdom of God. A a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. I always wonder when I read this story if Jesus was like, really? Have you really kept all these since you were a boy? But good for him. Um, When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Okay, there's lots of uh, sermons that get preached about this. I want to kind of put those aside right now, the things that are probably running through our heads, and I want us to get back to what we're talking about today. I want us to look through this through the lens of the fuel that fuels the kingdom of God. Um, Let's look at it through what 100% looks like. Um, Was Jesus seeing this man and saying, okay, I see your heart and where you want to go, but I see that your heart has been divided a little bit. You're not 100% all in. You've got sections. You've got a pie chart going on. Was he using the fuel that would propel him forward into the adventure of the life of God, or was he adding Jesus onto his already crowded life? That's the danger for us in 21st century America, is adding Jesus onto our already crowded life. It definitely doesn't work that way. What if Jesus saw this man and, he, and said to him, okay, here's the thing. You have a desire to live an eternal, divine life with me, but you want to do it by giving one portion of your pie chart to eternal and divine things. It doesn't work that way. If you're serious, you'll remove the hindrance from the equation, and we can start down this wonderful road together. The choice is yours. I would love to have you, because I love you, but only if it's all of you. This journey takes place when I have all of you. Not when part of you is holding on to a bunch of other stuff, right? Can you hear Jesus saying that? Can can you read this story and think, yeah, that might have been where he's going? I can, and it brings up a lot of questions in my own life. You know, what are my areas where I'm holding on to, where I still have a sliver of the pie chart there? And again, we're talking about love. I'm not talking about any condemnation of what you're doing and all those kind of things. David understood this concept, and he prayed this wonderful prayer. It's on page 477, Psalm 86, 11, and 12. It's right there on the right-hand side of the page, right in the middle. He prays to the Lord, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Some versions say that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. 
I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. What David's doing is he's asking the Lord, I know my ways, and I know how that works. Teach me your ways, and give me an undivided heart. An undivided heart is exactly what it sounds like. It's one whole, and there's not a, I mean, if you think of your heart as a pie chart, it's not these slivers going to different things. It's when it comes to the love of my heart for God, it's all going towards Him. It's 100% all in. The way of God is totally and completely undivided, okay? Um, Think of it this way. The way of God, He's saying, teach me your ways, which is undivided. All right, we've talked about this before, but just sharing the gospel What happened is sin came into our life, and God wanted from you and me an intimate relationship. That's what he's after. That's his priority with us, right? And so sin came. And when sin put a block up between us, God is infinite, all-powerful. He can take care of a problem of sin, probably with 5%. That's the way it can work, I think. I mean... You know, 5% of infinity is infinity, right? <laughs> so 5% of God, let's say, for argument's sake, he could do that. All right, I'm going to take care of that. He didn't do it that way. He says, no, I'm going to give you 100% of myself. Uncreated God in all glory, in ways that our little uh, created minds can't even imagine, decided I'm going to become one of these little guys that I created on this little dot on this tiny galaxy to me. I'm going to do that. And not in 21st century uh, America when I have an iPhone and lots, you know, a thermarest and a Tempur-Pedic bed. You know, he went to first century Palestine and lived that life. Just living that life as God is unimaginable. But he did it. And not only that, he allowed people to lie about him. He became a refugee. His family had to flee from his own country and go into Egypt. And then came back and was totally in fear that someone might kill him even then. Then he allowed himself to be lied about, slandered, ridiculed, made fun of. He allowed himself to be beaten and tortured and eventually ends up on a cross dying for us. I mean, if you ever want to see what wholehearted looks like, God himself stretched out on a cross, nailed, totally naked, exposed for everyone, that is 100% all in. That is the way of God. And David asks, teach me your way. How does it work that I can be 100%? It doesn't always look like that for us. But each one of us has, a, has something in our life that it could be 100%, and I want it to be for us. Say it again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. All right. Let's hit the back of the book, Revelation, page 993. I was telling Mark Bixler before the sermon, and I was realizing in the, in the last service that I was picking everyone's least favorite scriptures. <laughs> um, Church of Laodicea, no one wants to read this one, but I want us to continue in that same vein, looking at it from the lens of wholeheartedness. Revelation 3, uh, starting in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I'm going to skip down to verse 19. 
Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. But just for us to know, this isn't something coming down, I don't like you people because of this. It's saying, no, I love you and I discipline. That's why I let you know these things. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I think if he's giving this wonderful thing, that's kind of what this, this whole sermon is about. It's not to condemn any of us, but it's good to just hear this from time to time. The Lord loves us and wants to put a plumb line just to see how we're doing, you know, when it comes to loving him. Okay, I want to, just so you know, what, you, what we just read, it's a shocking thing. Everything in the book of Revelation is a very shocking way of putting it, and it's on purpose called apocalyptic literature, and its point is to like startle you and to wake you up. Uh, it's, it's different from what you're usually reading, and it's usually to allow you to look at something in a different way. So I'm going to just break this down into the really dilute what, what has been said here. Um, so in the most diluted, watered-down, emasculated way, a point that could be being made by this statement as well as what it, um, the other things is, hey guys, this part of my life Christianity... I have this, I have my job, I have my relationships, I have this, then Christianity is kind of one of these things. This part of my life, Christianity, isn't fun for anybody. It's boring for you, and, that, and it's that much more boring for me because I can see, clearly see what could be with us. I am living in the passionate love that I have for you, and you seem not to notice or accept it sometimes. I want to live in an adventure with you while we are head over heels in love with each other, and you guys have a tendency just to kind of go through the motions sometimes and treat this eternal life that I've given you as another toy to throw on the pile. That's not how it works. Man, it's so convicting to me just to even read those words because um, I know it's true in so many areas. I'd rather, and he, I think that Jesus is saying, you know, I'd rather have you just flip out and yell at me and tell me how much you hate me than kind of ignore me or treat me as just another part of your life. I think about, you know, Liz is the most important person in my life. It's my wife. Um, and for you, just think of who's the most important person in your life. Could be a spouse, could be a friend, could be a dad, could be a mom, a brother, sister. And think of that person. If you have the choice, would you rather, say I come home and Liz, you know, two out of ten days says hi to me. <laughs> um, don't, if I'm upset or not, it doesn't really matter much to her. She just kind of, I'm around from time to time. Sometimes she notices me, sometimes she doesn't. That would just be awful for me. And I'm a person that I will avoid conflict like nobody I know. I hate conflict. Um, really, really hate it. But I'd much rather have the fight than that just kind of uh, humdrum. Somebody asked Liz, are you married to Charlie? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> That'd be the worst. I'd rather fight because it, it, if, I, if we fight, then at least I know I'm important to her. And I think Jesus is saying, even if you're screaming at me and you hate me, at least we're in dialogue and your whole heart is engaged. Um, I think that's what he's saying in that, in, to the church of Laodicea. Okay, to make this a little bit more practical, again, this is hard for us to just put a, a, a picture on. I can't just say, you know, Chuck, for you, your life is 100% in for him looks like this. Or, or Brad, for you, it looks like this. Or Tim, for you, it looks like this. It's, it doesn't work that way. All of us have our own way that it looks. And that's one of the beauties of the gospel, and it's one, also one of the things that make it difficult to make these blanket statements about everyone. But just think in your life, do you know anyone now or in your past, you can just say, that person was all in. That person is 100%. 10 out of 10 
in love with Jesus. Can you think of that person? Um, I hope you can, at least one. Uh, it was funny, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine. Um, when we're, how many of you guys are in a group, by the way? Um, yeah, one of the fun things that happens during groups is a lot of times at the beginning when we're all getting to know each other, we'll share our stories. Just This is kind of how my life went. And in that story, you hear a lot of stories about how people came to know Jesus for the first time. Um, and I was sitting with a pastor friend of mine who he's an old, older guy. Um, I think he's 75. And he was a uh, head pastor of a church for 40 years, different churches. Um, and he said, you know, in all of my years of hearing people's stories, thousands and thousands of stories, I can't think of one where someone was led to the Lord by a pastor in a church. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And I could think of one, but it happened at a gas station, not actually in the church. Um, it's fascinating how that works. So you have this person in your mind. Think, I want you to think about that person and what it was about that person that would make him 100% or her 100%. It helps us to wrap our mind around what we're talking about here. I have a question for us. Um, Am I currently living all in when it comes to my relationship with God and His kingdom? And just think about that. And again, this isn't something to say, oh, I, I want us all to change our jobs and enter full-time ministry or become missionaries and that kind of thing. It's not what we're talking about today. I think in my life, the way it is now, am I all in 100%? Again, I'm asking the question continually, you know, Lord, what does it look like for me to show up and live the greatest commandment 100% right here at the DMV while I'm sitting at a stoplight, um, in my job, in my family, while I'm sitting and answering emails? What does it look like to love you 100% right now? It's a good question to ask. And the follow-up question, if I'm falling short of this goal, what would it look like if I were? If I were living 100% in all these areas of my life, what would that look like? You know, again, I want us to put this template over your life right now. Um, you know, the Lord may have you make some changes or things like that, but we're not talking about that. Right now for this exper experiment, we just say, okay, in your life right now, the job that you go to, the route that you take to work, the family that you live with, what would, it, what would my conversations be like if I were living 100% in love with Jesus right then? What would my commute look like? How would I accomplish my tasks at work possibly differently? Would my attitude change um, towards things that happened in my life? And what would my prayer look like? Things are coming to your mind. There's usually a pen in front of you. If you want to write that down to take it home or to think about it, just to pray about it, um, that'd be helpful. Max Lucado has this great quote. He says, fear doesn't want you to make the journey to the mountain. If he can rattle you enough, fear will persuade you to take your eyes off the peaks and settle for the dull existence in the flatlands. You know, sometimes our fight in this journey isn't always just sin and bad things versus God and good things. It's, well, I settle and just be okay in the flatlands and just kind of live this thing out? Or will I go all in um, and go for those mountains? Humdrum, uh, boring Christianity is no fun for anybody. Nominal Christianity. I want us here at Flat Park just to go all in and whatever that looks like for each of us. 
Let's say this one more time. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your strength. Let's pray. Teach us your ways, Lord, that we may walk in your truth. Give us undivided hearts that we may fear your name and praise you with all of our hearts. Lord, we need your help to see the areas of our life where you're a part and not the whole. Lord, we long for the kingdom to work in our lives as we go all in and live wholeheartedly for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.